This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I like the quote that I heard uh, from, from some folks within the Jake and Gino community, um, get in as much debt as you can, as fast as you can, which was contrary to the way I thought about debt and leverage earlier on in my career. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? This is Jonathan Farber, host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. This show is all about achieving financial freedom as fast as possible so you can do whatever makes you happy in life. For me, that vehicle was real estate, and it's how I achieved financial freedom at 27. If you want to know how I got started, my journey is presented in a YouTube video posted in the show notes, and I post daily in our private Facebook group about my favorite topics and day-to-day -day strategies. I appreciate you guys being here, and let's get started. Oh, by the way, reach out if you ever need help. I try to keep my calendar open to talk to anyone that needs it or has any quick questions. See you guys. Talk to you later. This episode is sponsored by Infinite Road Destinations, the smartest short-term rental property management group I know, and the group that manages my properties. This is a company that's very close to my heart, run by two of the smartest, most attentive people I know, Claire Rosenberg and Alex Brashears. Claire and I first met when we worked together at NetApp, where she was a top performer and rose crazy fast in the company. And Alex is just one of the most active, genuine people I know in the real estate space. The two of them together bring a blended background of project management, software design, and extensive experience with automation tools and virtual assistants. Through these experiences, they optimize any property to deliver a hands-off experience to owners while delivering the highest occupancy and highest daily rates possible. You guys know I would not recommend anything to anyone in this group that I do not fully endorse or think that is the absolute best product. And this company is that. And like I said before, this is the exact company and people that manage my Airbnbs. If you don't believe me, here are a few of the other tools and services that come along with the team. Listing optimization, guest support and approval, communication and reservations, key exchange and management, dynamic pricing, welcome kit creation, listing advertising and marketing, vendor management, including cleaners, maintenance, handymen, runners, and monthly property reports. To learn more, check out shorttermmadeeasy.com or email info at shorttermmadeeasy.com. And on the forum, just mention that you heard it here or mention my name. So give it a try. You have nothing to lose and they offer a satisfaction guarantee. And I assure you guys, you will not be disappointed. What's up, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with Stephen Sykes. Stephen is based in the Omaha, Nebraska market. And it's funny because we actually had two other people on the show from that market who referred Stephen and uh, just great people that I got to get out there. And we talked about it a little on the show, but uh, definitely seems like a cool place. A lot of good people out there for investing. Obviously, Warren Buffett's one of them, but uh, real estate investors, I mean, specifically, but Stephen has a great story. He started in 2005 with small properties like duplexes, quadplexes, like a lot of the stuff that I know you guys are doing. And he scaled up quickly. Actually, I take that back. He waited 10 years and he was figuring out which niche kind of worked for him. He was also working a W2 job from 2005 to 2015. But in 2015, he jumped back into it really hard, started networking with people, thinking about what he wanted to do, what his goals were, and then scaled up very quickly from then by partnering with people and getting more aggressive, raising money to over a thousand units and over a hundred deals. And he's invested now in the Midwest, in Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Missouri, Texas, and others. And it's just a really cool story how 
he kind of, once he got clear on his goals and what he wanted to do, he was able to just jump in, meet the right people, take action, and now build a really big business that he talks about a lot on the show and how he manages his time within that business. So there's a lot of cool stuff. The main learning I had from this episode was that there's no issue issue on a property that can't be addressed with a good contractor, meaning there's nothing wrong with a problem property. It's just a matter of, are you getting it at the right price? And do you have the right person who can fix that thing? So he's not scared of foundation problems or high ticket, let's say CapEx items, because he just knows that it's part of a line item in a budget. And if he gets it at the right price and gets the right people, then he can make it work. And a lot of other people will pass on those things because they know they can't make it work. So interesting perspective. I think also part of that comes from Stephen ran a property management business, which he now still owns and manages, I believe, but he's still just kind of but he actually now just takes a little bit more of his hands off of kind of the day-to-day stuff and oversees it. But that experience, I think, helps him a lot with, I guess, the actual management of those type of projects. Today's tangible tip is finding deals through contractors. It's something that Stephen actually mentioned on the show. But deal finding is tough for everyone. And a lot of people are doing the same strategies, direct mail, cold calling, texting, whatever, or brokers. And Steven had a great tip that he has found deals through contractors and paying them a finder's fee. They are on job sites and they are talking to people all the time. And a lot of times, if there's a property that they have to be called back to a lot of times, it's a distressed property. And if you pay them to give you information on that type of deal or that owner of that property, they will bring you deals. And Stephen talks about his process for that and how anyone who wants to try finding deals that way can do it. So it's really cool. I never really thought about it. I've never done it. But after hearing that, I'm definitely going to facilitate that conversation with most of my contractors just so they know if they're at a site or they talk to an owner who might want to get rid of a deal, there is something in it for them. So without any further ado, great episode today with Stephen Sykes. Enjoy, guys. All right, Stephen, what is going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you, another Omaha guy, and uh, we're going to have some fun today. How are you? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me on this uh, podcast, and I really enjoy talking with you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We got connected through uh, Chris and Colin, um, who've been on the show doing deals out there, and I know you've tagged up with them on some deals, so... Um, we'll, we'll just kind of jump right into it. Um, so Steven, if, if you wouldn't mind, could you give us kind of a blurb, a high level background on how you got into real estate and then also from a high level, what you do today in real estate? Yeah, for sure. You bet Jonathan. Um, so real quick, just on me, uh, basic stats, uh, I'm 46, I'm married. Um, my wife and I have two boys. Uh, we are, as you mentioned, we're based in Omaha, Nebraska, um, I got interested in real estate investing in 2001 and had been, so I grew up in a family with uh, real estate uh, agents. So my mom's been a real estate agent for 30 years. Uh, I was fortunate to have them think about investing in real estate uh, when I was in my teens. Uh, They would, they would suggest it, talk about it. Um, Didn't take any hold or traction in my world until, like I said, about 2001. Um, so grew up as a kid in Portland, uh, moved to Austin when I was in eighth grade, uh, around to fast forward to 2001 is when I started thinking about real estate investing in Austin and just, you know, didn't have a bank savings account that, that qualified as a down payment. And I sort of stopped pushing myself at that point. So we can touch on that later, um, finding capital and using capital, but kind of got stuck in the, you know, I don't have the down mentality. Um, ended up buying first real estate investment property in 2005 in Portland, Oregon. So I moved back there 
as an adult with my now wife. Mm. Um, held, you know, bought that house in 2005. Fast forward to 2015 is when I bought my first multifamily property here in Omaha. Um, so we can kind of dive into the details after 15 as we go through the, the call here. But uh, just kind of real quick on me, what I'm doing now is uh, a few businesses keep me busy and, and keep things really excited. So um, I do work with Chris and Colin. We have Park Ave Capital, a uh, multifamily syndication company. We're invested in six states here in the Midwest. Um, another company that we own together is Cascade Commercial. It's a commercial brokerage that's focused on multifamily. And uh, we've got three brokers that work underneath me. And um, I'm licensed and have the company in, in four going on six of those states. And then the three of us also own uh, Bricktown Property Management, which is a property management company that Colin Schwartz actually started. And now we've teamed up with him. We just do portfolio uh, management. So we just manage our own properties. Um, we are actually partnering with another operator to start a third party property management company that will operate in these greater kind of six and growing Midwest states that we are interested in investing in. Um, in addition to that, um, as I mentioned here before we jumped on, uh, a group of us, Chris, Colin, myself, and a couple of other partners are building ground up 130 unit apartment building in Midtown Omaha. Um, it's mm -hmm. gonna have some commercial and retail space on the ground floor. Um, and this is, this is on land that we collectively bought uh, with multifamily rentals. So conversion apartments. And just the demand in this area is for uh, for Class A, and so we're we're gonna we're gonna go up about seven stories um, wow. after we after we scrape what we have there. So, uh, you know, all of those those things keep me busy. Um, I'll kind of pause there, and we can dive into some more details here on the call. Awesome, thanks, Stephen. So, from a high, also from a high level, what were you doing uh, between 2005 and 2015? Were you thinking about getting into real estate more? Were you working on other projects? Because you said you bought your first property, but then a little bit of time passed. So curious what you were up to during that time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before I left my, my, my day job, my W-2, um, and, and started doing real estate investing full-time, uh, I guess the common thread would be uh, municipal public works and capital projects. So I worked for the city of Portland um, for about 11 years doing uh, stormwater, uh, wastewater, um, Endangered Species Act compliance for the city. And so also got my master's at Portland State University in, in public administration and was really geared towards, I thought at the time, staying in that track of natural resource management, mm -hmm. um, which, which is fantastic. And in the Northwest is just really thrilling because of the environment and kind of all of the, all of the things that it has to offer out there. Uh, we decided to move to Omaha to be closer to family. My family's in Texas. My wife's family is here in Omaha. And so we decided to move. And it was, you know, through that kind of that 2007 to 2013 timeframe that I realized that, you know, real estate investing was a drive that I just really needed to um, understand and explore for myself. So uh, for a number of years while in, in Portland, uh, I wanted to invest and I still had not moved past that kind of that mind block that I referenced earlier of not having my own down payment. So I had not, at that point, had not educated myself about um, how to leverage using others' others' money, other sources of, of capital. Um, it finally got fed up with myself and, and my wife fed up with me at complaining about not getting started. So I just, <laughs> I got offered a, uh, 
a 0% interest cash advance from a credit card that I'd had since college. Uh, it didn't had a, I had a zero balance. And so I just bit the bullet and said, you know what, this is going to be my source of the down. So I took 25,000 out, had 18 months at 0%. And I made it kind of made a deal with my wife. I was going to refinance this property within that time frame before the, you know, the 18% took hold. And uh, I did so. I bought my first fourplex here in Omaha in 2015. And um, I've still own it today and have refinanced that thing, I think four times just to leverage to get into other deals. So, oh, okay. mm -hmm. yeah, so that, that definitely takes us down the path of, of you know, talking about, uh, you know, utilizing other forms of capital, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. So I guess just uh, this will be a good entry to the path of bigger deals and using other people's money. But a lot of people listening to the show, you know, are maybe torn between bigger deals and JV or syndication or kind of going down that one to four unit path and doing it themselves, saving up money and investing in deals with their own money. So how did you think about the difference between using your own money and going down that path versus doing different types of deals and partnering and kind of bringing on different team members to do bigger types of deals? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, cause I, I, really feel like the answer to that question is where my career really springboarded into what it's, you know, what it's doing now. So in the beginning, so 15, 16, even 17, I had the, you know, the I'm a mentality, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do everything. I'm not going to bring on any partners, not going to bring on any, you know, contractors, you know, quickly learned that I don't need to be holding the tools. That's a mistake. You know, I need to bring people in that are experts with tools. Um, similarly, I needed to bring in people that had you know, different approaches to leveraging capital and scaling up. And so uh, I did that, you know, with, with Colin. Colin and I bought our first property together in 2017. Um, we're introduced by mutual friends and have been working together since. I met Chris later that year, same path, started working together and have been working with those guys since. Um, but to your question specifically, I guess I would say, you know, depends on what someone's goals are. But from my perspective, um, I, I like the quote that I heard uh, from, from some folks within the Jake and Gino community, um, get in as much debt as you can, as fast as you can, which was contrary to the way I thought about debt and leverage earlier on in my career. You know, the concept of getting in as much debt at whatever rate, as much as you can, as fast as you can. I was like, whoa, that's, you know, that's out of my comfort zone. But the reality is, and the point that was being made was this business is a business of about essentially appreciation, whether it's appreciation for appreciation's sake, or it's appreciation to get to a point where there's cash flow that can come in on a monthly basis or quarterly basis, whatever that is, or whatever that business plan is, it's about creating value and, and, and forcing appreciation in property, right? So mm -hmm. since that's kind of the baseline, if I think about it from that perspective, you know, I want to be creating appreciation on as much you know, value as I can. And for me, that involves leveraging, which involves debt. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would say to someone that's thinking, um, to, to someone that's thinking, do I start with the onesie foursies or do I partner with guys that want the fifties? Um, I'd say do both. You know, if, if someone mm -hmm. has capacity to do more than one project at a time, then um, I would say do both, you know, and if someone's comfortable and says, you know what, I really want to own my own stuff. Cool. Make that, you know, the one to four to 10 to 12 or whatever. Someone can buy it off and run that business model. Um, at the same time, um, I would, you know, highly recommend 
sourcing and finding those bigger properties. And this is what I, I, I try to coach, uh, you know, folks within my network that come to me with questions and my brokers that, that are working with Cascade Commercial is, you know, if, if you want equity, if that's the goal, bring value. And if, if, you know, if someone doesn't have their portion of the down payment to throw into the next hundred unit deal, no problem, or that's fine. Go and find that deal and bring it to people that are already taking down those kinds of deals. And then take a finder's fee, you know, take a, a fee that you can then roll in to the deal as equity. Uh, that's how I started. You know, when I was first buying about this fourplex, uh, the next deal I did was a couple of duplexes and I really wanted to scale up and get into bigger properties. I was still kind of letting myself suffer from that mindset of, oh, I don't have the down payment in my savings account. So contacted a couple of guys that were buying in Omaha as well. One of them I knew from, from back in Texas and <clears throat> said, hey, you know, here's this deal. I can manage it locally. And I really need, you know, to borrow my portion of the down, my third of the down. So they loaned it to me at 4% and gave me four years to pay it off, which was fantastic. Mm. And, then, and then I did the property management for this, for this 14 unit property and just structured it so that my property management fee paid my debt service to those guys each month for the third of my down that I borrowed. So really just getting in on sweat equity and then learning property management. So it just goes back to trying to find value. So wherever someone wants to start, I'm kind of making the assumption that maybe there's not the equity there to get in and buy in. Mm -hmm. um, if there is, if there is great, you know, we can talk about that too, but for somebody that just wants to get started, yeah, get in on both levels and really just take action. I think that's the, the biggest takeaway is just take action. I think that is such underrated advice and um, like no BS. I, like I, I, I just see people doing both and being successful with both as opposed to trying to limit, you know, one or the other. Like if you need a place to live and you're in your young 20s, your early 20s, why not house hack? Because you can get rid of your cost of living and you can learn how to buy quadplexes and you could do a couple of those a year. You're going to make money. You're going to get rid of your cost of living. But also you can be actively or it's, it's passive, but you can be actively looking for deals to invest in or bigger deals to partner with people. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Like to find a quadplex, that should not take you an entire year, in, in my mind, at least. You know, you can find that maybe mm -hmm. in a quarter and you might mm -hmm. need to save up money or maybe a parent can co-sign on a loan or you can get creative with getting the money, but you can do that. That's going to cross off your place to live. But then you can, I love that. You can find other investment strategies or partner with people. So I guess just going down the path for you, like how did you, I, what was what was the, the makings of your first multifamily deal? That one in 2015, um, after you kind of, like you said, went down the path of doing some quads and duplexes and kind of figuring it out with that. And then, you know, got into your first multifamily deal. Yeah. So the, the, the makeup of that was um, a couple a couple partners. Again, one of them I knew from, um, you know, middle school, high school days down in Austin. Um, so a familiar partnership. Uh, I was a little leery of partnering just because I'd heard, you know, I'd heard enough stories about partnerships gone bad. Uh, you know, the partnership is the toughest ship to float. So I had a little bit of that kind of just um, caution in my mind. So getting together with a guy that was, you know, essentially like a brother, um, felt very comfortable. They were willing to, again, help me with kind of the finance piece up front. And so I was getting into a scenario where I was agreeing to manage a property bigger than anything I'd ever managed. Um, also in South Omaha, and, in, and the building was full, uh, was completely occupied, and 90% of the occupants only spoke Spanish. And so 
from growing up in Texas and just traveling around the world, uh, I had picked up Spanish and was somewhat comfortable. Um, certainly not fluent, but comfortable enough to go, okay, cool. I can, I can, I can bite this off and, and take a, take a run at it. Um, and it was great because, um, it, you know, it helped me to improve my Spanish. It also helped me obviously to communicate, um, directly with my, with my residents. So found the deal backing up a few steps, um, found the deal through a wholesaler who's actually out of Houston, but was living in Florida at the time. And this was my first exposure to wholesalers at multifamily kind of level. But there were a number of like single family wholesalers here in town. Uh, but this guy was like, it was just blowing my mind what he was, what he was doing. Like he's in Florida, you know, he found this deal because he contacted the owner. Um, I was just completely entranced and he was charging this at the time. I think it was a $20,000 fee, you know, which to me, as a, and I think I also had my real estate license at that point too. So was going, wow, this guy's getting 20 grand for making a few phone calls. This is fantastic. I got to learn how to do this. Mm. Um, so found the deal, took it through, took it through diligence. And honestly, really, we did not do the best diligence that we could have done for just lack of experience. Um, so got through diligence, got, you know, found the bank, took the deal down, you know, put 25% down typical terms at that time. I think we were in the, I think we were in the high fives, low sixes for rate, probably mm -hmm. mid sixes, to be honest. Um, went in, you know, kind of figured out who the stinker, you know, tenants were that needed to go, uh, rehab units. Um, so case in point there, we did not have a construction or rehab loan on that deal. So we were just planning on funding everything through cash flow, which is a terrible idea. And we never do that anymore. We always get a construction loan from the bank that's financed into the deal. We always get two appraisals. We get the appraisal that's as is, and we also get an as completed appraisal. Now that as completed appraisal is what the bank uses to give us the 80% uh, loan to cost loan that lets us rehab the property with the bank's money. Um, so, you know, we weren't doing any of that back in 2015, um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, we've, we bought the property for 480. It's actually under contract today to close in about three weeks for 975. So mm. we're gonna be take, take those proceeds and uh, 1031 them into another deal. Wow, okay, that's awesome. Um... All right. So there's a lot there, I, I guess for a beginner investor looking to get into multifamily, um, I guess we could kind of come at it. I don't know if your answer would be different if it was someone that was completely new and they wanted to try to get into multifamily versus someone that was already doing some deals and looking to graduate up. But what, what comes to mind when you, when you hear someone ask the question, how can I get started in multifamily? And, and it could be a different answer for a true beginner versus someone who's kind of graduating up. But just curious how you think about that question. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll tell you where my assumptions are before I answer it. So my assumption is that this person, you know, can, can provide their own down payment. So let's take that off the table. They can find a way to close the deal with a bank. Um, I'm also going to assume that they, well, we'll go two tracks. Like, so my recommendation is to get in and do property management from the beginning. Um, don't plan on doing it forever because it's an incredibly difficult business. Um, and as someone grows and scales, really their time is more valuable doing other things. Mm. But doing property management hands-on taught me a lot about what to expect from property managers. It taught me a lot about what to expect from tenants mm. and, from and from contractors. So great way to learn, roll the sleeves and just do it until it becomes too painful or there's a better use of time. Um, so getting started, I'd say, you know, 
kind of identify, first of all, market, right? So let's also make an assumption that they've identified their market, whether it's their home market or it's one that's you know nearby or in another state. That's also kind of a differentiator. If you want to talk about investing out of state, we can go that route. But for now, let's say it's in their backyard. Um, mm -hmm. Are they, you know, if they're not already talking with brokers, then there's kind of three or two or three relationships that should really be developed uh, even before they have a deal under contract. So one is brokers start reaching out to agents that find these kind of deals that the buyer wants to buy and just kind of let them know, like, here's my criteria. Here's what I'm willing to do for rehab. Um, here's where the limit is. Like, I'm not interested if it's got a foundation issue. Or I'm not interested if it's got mold. Um, I would encourage the opposite. Go after the ones with foundation issues. Go after the ones with mold. You know, those are those are huge leverage points on negotiation. And really, there's there, there's no issue. I don't care what the property looks like. There's no issue that can't be addressed with a good contractor. So um, so don't be afraid of problem properties. Um, instead, address that concern, which is a natural and good concern. Address it by getting educated and then finding the contractors that can address those concerns. So I kind of jumped around there. So relationships with brokers led, led to mentioning of relationships with contractors. So, so meet a couple of folks that can do rehabs on apartments or uh, converted single families um, and just start to get pricing. You know, it's also a good source of deal flow. And we could talk about deal flow a little bit uh, here in a minute, if you'd like, but mm -hmm. I, just as a sidebar, what I would recommend if someone's not finding deal flow, uh, one of the things that I've been successful at is finding deal flow through contractors by offering them a, a you know a financial finder's fee. So whatever that is, if it's a thousand bucks, and you know if it's a good enough deal, offer a thousand bucks in cash. You know mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna make the property pay for it through its you know its own cash flow and appreciation. So. Just kind of learn learn to incentivize others to help find deals for you. So whether that's agents, contractors, um, another relationship that should be formed up front is the bank. So find out who you want to who you want to bank with, um, and then you know another one would be a property management company. Even if you're looking to and open to the idea of managing yourself, go ahead and form a relationship with a property manager so that you've got kind of a takeout management strategy for when you're either too busy finding more deals mm -hmm. or you just have stabilized the property and now it's ready for third party. So that was my approach too, is I'd, that, that I'd recommend is get in there, learn the property management, stabilize the property so that you're also learning that process. And then once it is stabilized, you've now hand, you're now ready to hand over a stabilized property to a property manager that allows you to anticipate the costs and plan for what those management costs are going to be a little bit better. Steven, um, I just got to say, there's so many nuggets in this. Keep going, man, if you got more, but this is this is so helpful. Oh, you bet. No, I'm glad it's helpful. Um, I can pause there just to make sure I'm kind of staying on track. Okay, now. yeah. Yeah, um, go ahead. There's just, just a lot of cool things you, you touched on there, but um, I, I've never heard of someone in multifamily talking about deal flow through contractors. And, you know, like that's just... A, qu a question, a problem that you hear a lot of times people can't find deals or just, you know, like not even sure where to kind of come up with like a framework to get started and then meet brokers or find deals. But um, like bringing back to a point you made earlier that if you can find deals, you can involve yourself in those deals, no matter if you have the money or the experience or not, like there's a way to insert yourself. 
Um, I, I guess just kind of on that note, you know, we will probably go deeper into deal finding, but like for, for what you're doing in the business today, or what I guess your team is doing in the business today, is that what you would say is like the most common bottleneck deal flow, or is it something else? Is it something maybe COVID related or anything else? But, you know, like for a lot of people, it seems like they are still stuck or struggling with deal flow. Um, is that still a challenge for you guys at your level, or if it isn't any, any specifics or further tactics that you kind of use to not have it be a problem? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, cause I think the deal flow, you know, topic or question, it really filters down to any level. So it's a, whether it's a quadplex or whether it's a 400 unit property, um, the, the, the quality of the deals, the, ultimately the success of our business is based on the quality of projects that we can acquire. So and that goes for anybody. So I'd say, you know, some other, trying to think about that from the best angle. So our deal flow comes from a variety of sources today. It does come from brokers. Mm -hmm. um, it does come, it does come from wholesalers. Um, it comes from partners that are also in the business that might not, you know, either want to take down a project that they come across or they need to partner because of its size. So we're working on one. We submitted an offer last night, um, been under LOI for about three weeks. It's a 80 unit project here in Omaha and uh, came to me through uh, a friend, a colleague who's also in the real estate business. Um, just happened to hear about it, you know, went and pitched the seller and said, hey, would you entertain an offer? And I think these guys would be interested in buying. So can come, you know, organically, you know, to use that term, that's can just sort of come from existing relationships. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we also get deal flow from banks. So some of our bankers have been great sources of deal flow. They hear about a client that's like, Hey, you know, this, this guy or gal might be having a little bit of trouble or, or they've let me know that they're looking to sell in six months. You know, would you guys be interested? And we can just kind of just keep the loan in house. So obviously they're incentivized to do that. Um, Property management companies, professional, good, third-party property property management companies, mm -hmm. have have sent us some fantastic opportunities. Mm. Um, and boy, talk about a way to really get to know the property quick. You're you're dealing with, or you're hearing about the property from the group of people that have been managing it, so they know all of the pros and cons. Mm. Um, so that's a fantastic source for deal flow. Um, it, for, for us right now, the deal flow, I would say deal flow is not the challenge or not a challenge that we are having difficulty, you know, working through, um, just to put some perspective on it. So, uh, personally I'm invested in, you know, close to 600 units. Uh, of course I don't own those myself. I have partners, um, Park Ave Capital has over a thousand doors and uh, over a hundred million in assets under management. Um, our goal this year when we started 21 was to add a thousand doors and 60 million more in assets under management. And we are, we are 70% there here at the start of Q2. So I think we short, we shorted ourselves on our goal. Um, so we're pushing really hard to acquire, uh, you know, everything from 50 unit properties to uh, we've got a 270 unit under contract and we've got an LOI out for a 320 unit. Mm. Uh, assemblage of properties. And these are all in surrounding markets. They're not all here in Omaha. So for, so for us right now, um, kind of one of really the, the growth points that we're working on is, is capital, is finding capital to join us 
um, in, in a variety of fashions, whether if, if we're syndicating, you know, then it's passive LP investors. Um, you know, if our goal is, you know, 10,000 doors in, in the next seven years, then, and we're at, you know, X percent, you know, would we also be really stoked to have 7,500 doors and a higher percentage of ownership? Well, the answer is yes. You know, both scenarios are, are fantastic. So one of the things that we're looking at is, yes, the syndication model, you know, where we come in as the GP and have 30% equity day one for, you know, finding the deal, putting it together, structuring the partnership and doing all the legal work. And then 70% of the properties owned by the limited partners. That's great. We want to continue doing that. We're also starting to work with capital groups that are providing funding for the full 100% capital stack. So we don't use a bank, we use their capital to buy the property and to fund the rehab budget. And there's also a split there, of course, we, don't, we won't own it outright, but we'll partner with them. So that's, that's an intriguing um, just partnership structure that we're working on now on some bigger projects as well. So with all of these different projects, different businesses, I'm curious how you find the best way to divvy up your time or what you find your like most or highest best use of your time is in any of these businesses or roles. You know, like a lot of times we'll have people that'll talk about they're more of the capital raiser or they're more the underwriting or they are good with project management or uh, asset management. So do you have any, you know, specialties or areas that you like to specifically focus, you know, what and other things that you can delegate to either, you know, Chris or Colin or other partners that, you know, is what they're best at and they like doing, and you can stay in your wheelhouse for what you're best at and you like doing. Yeah, that is a great question, uh, Jonathan. And um, reminds me to, to think back daily about uh, this book I'm reading right now, Who Not How. Hmm. Um, re- highly recommend that for anyone that has kind of the shiny ball syndrome like I do. <laughs> um, you know, I, I get excited about and you know, have an instinct or a reaction to go and pursue a variety of different things that come across my radar. Um, over the last, you know, five years, I've learned to train that focus and train that vision. Um, so it's, it's more productive. Um, so the way that that looks now is, you know, across these three businesses, just kind of taking the easy one off the plate, uh, Bricktown Property Management, I don't really have an active operational role. Um, I do have uh, a role where I'll help find kind of strategic hires that Bricktown might need through my network. And so that's productive. Colin really runs that, you know, uh, day-to-day operationally. Over at Cascade Commercial, which is our our commercial brokerage focused on multifamily, I am the principal broker. So that is the primary focus is management of my team. And, you know, providing and helping wherever they, they need help and wherever I can. Mm. And so what I try to do there, excuse me, and where I think I add the most value is, is helping them, you know, on anything they need help with quick. I can step in if needed. Um, but really, it's to help push them more than anything. Help them, help them push to achieve their goals, which just as a sidebar on Cascade, what we look to do is attract experienced multifamily agents and brokers that want to grow their portfolio. And so one of the criteria to come in and work for us, now we've only got three guys, but what we did was kind of filter for these three guys in this way. We said, we want 
we want to work with you guys because we know that you have an interest in growing your own portfolio. So we, you know, we want you to think about yourselves as your first best client. So you find, you go out, you hunt deals, you find stuff. Do you want to buy it first is the first question. And if you don't want to buy it, then think of Park App Capital as your second best client, because here's our criteria, here's our criteria. So we're kind of building these businesses to really complement them themselves and each other. Um, so that's, that's, the highest best use of my time within Cascade Commercial. And then with, within Park Ave, um, my role there is Director of Development and Acquisition. And so within that role, um, I'm finding those strategic partnerships for Park Ave in the markets that we're growing into. So those partnerships are property management companies, um, capital partners, brokers that can bring us deals. Um, ideally pre-market or before they've gone out kind of to the public. Uh, some of those markets that we're, you know, we're doing that in right now are Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Dallas-Fort Worth, Des Moines, hmm. um, Kansas City. So, um, you know, highest, best use of my time there is, aside from what I just mentioned, doing the asset management. So I'm on the weekly calls for the properties that are my priority. So we kind of divide up certain markets and Chris or Carl and I will take the lead on, on being the lead asset manager. So we're going to attend all the calls uh, with the property management company every week. Uh, we're going to track the budget. We're going to track all the reporting. Um, and then we can uh, kind of all step in as we need to, uh, to assist each other. Um, so that asset, man asset management piece is critical. Uh, you know, managing the manager making sure they have they, what they need making sure the communication is crystal clear on what our expectations are on what the budget is, what it, you know, where we need to allocate it and so on. So I'll mm -hmm. kind of pause there. That was a lot pretty quick, but. Um, yeah, it's great though. I mean, you, there's a lot to it, but you're explaining it really simply, which is, which is cool. Um, one thing that I'd love to hear your perspective on is relationships and relationship management. Like it's, it's kind of a um, overused, thing in this business but you know relationships is the key to everything finding deals partners investors so i'm curious if you do anything to actively think about how you manage relationships or to keep some people kind of front and center you know like um if it's social media or you know mail or just texting people or just you know you remember to maybe reach out to some people because like even even i struggle with it too a little bit of this is like a selfish question like meeting so many people on the podcast and so many you know, people that I'm trying to do business with or find deals, you know, there's a lot of balls that could kind of fall. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that, of how you kind of maintain relationships or advice on how to maintain relationships. No, that's a great question. Um, Cause it's so critical and it's, you know, it's, it's the piece. One of the things that, that I, I value the most having transitioned from a W2, you know, working in public sector, I worked for an engineering company here in town for about six years. And one of the biggest differentiators between those chapters in my life and this chapter is the ability to control the relationships that I have in my life. Mm. And uh, that just brings me a lot of pleasure. Uh, first and foremost, just with my family. Um, and then, you know, second tier with my partners. Um, and then third tier with, you know, the network that I want to expand and grow. So opportunities like this, um, how to do it? How do I find value in it? Um, you know, I, I really enjoy the personal touch of texts and phone calls. Mm -hmm. um, un unfortunately, there's just not enough time in the day, or I haven't figured out how to find enough time <laughs> in the day to do, to do that enough. 
Right. Um, social media, as you know, is a phenomenal way and, to, and tool to utilize. Um, uh, I'm certainly not the best in our in our group or our trio. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Colin is, is heads and shoulders above me in terms of his effectiveness in that environment. So, uh, so what do I do? You know, I just really like to keep um, in my mind with relationships relationships in general, whether they're on the personal or the business side. Just like to keep in my mind, you know, what's we all have limited time. So, what's the best value? What's the best use that we can have for the time that we do have together? Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of my partners are friends. And so I have to have that distinction as well. Do we always want to be talking about business or no? We, are, we also <laughs> want to talk about the other interests that we have. Um, so I guess it's just comes back to balance and, you know, finding, you know, it, at a time in my life, I kind of had some reminders in my calendar to call certain people so mm-hmm. that that would trigger, great, I, I know I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make three phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, before I left my W-2, I was traveling on the road uh, a fair portion of the week, and I would uh, I would use that time to my advantage and just get on calls, you know, just have a list of people, just dial, 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 and, and use that as effectively as I could. Hmm. Um, we are kind of taking it from another perspective. We, Park Have Capital, is um, hiring uh, a marketing and branding company that's also going to help us with social media. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to, we're going to be go, going through a, a branding and marketing exercise that's going to lead to a more prominent uh, use of social media by Park Ave. So that's going to be really cool. We're all really excited about that just to, because uh, we always talk about, you know, oh, there's, there's opportunity here. We need to do this. So we're really taking and capitalizing on that opportunity, uh, which I'm looking forward to. So we can, we can kind of interact that way more as well. I guess just just the last question before we uh, wind down. Based off that, is that part of your guys' strategy for raising money, also um, by just building a brand, building social media, getting that out there, or how do you? Because you actually said before something that is not typical. Most people I'd say come on and say would deal flow is their bottleneck, but you mentioned that ca- capital, if you had to pick between the two, is a little bit more of the bottleneck. So I guess from that standpoint, could you maybe just talk to the strategy for raising capital, if that's part of it, or kind of how you guys do it now, how you guys think about if, let's say, a deal popped up today and you needed to fill, you know, two or $3 million, what the process would be to do that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and, and the answer is yes. You know, the, the efforts that we, that we are pursuing to kind of put outward facing um, information, material, um, project examples, uh, webinars, uh, podcasts, those are in an effort to just further substantiate our credibility, um, describe what our business is, is and what it's doing, um, attract investors, um, attract partners, collaborators, uh, you know, people that are doing what we're doing as well. Um, and so then kind of what the process looks like, you know, Historically, we've we've worked on both 506 and 506 506B and 506C structures for our syndications. And so, not to get too into the weeds, but those those distinctions have to do with, you know, where are the partners, the limited partners coming from? Are they within our existing network, or are they outside of our existing relationships? Is kind of the B and the C structure. And so, we've favored towards 506B structure because we've uh, we felt like that's been a great way for us to grow. Um, you know, and, and sure we, we do come across deals where, uh, you know, we've had, you know, three in the last, you know, 10 days where it's like, okay, cool. This is now getting under contract and now we need to raise 6 million more. 
let's figure out how we want to approach this or what the best structure is. And so a typical deal flow, for example, so if somebody went to uh, Park App Investing and they signed up to be, you know, signed up in the investor portal, they would see a project that we've completed the raise on now. So we're not raising for it any further, but there's a project there that's in Des Moines that we have been raising for for about two months. And, you know, at the beginning of the raise, we already had some of the capital identified. It's coming from us. It's coming from kind of our immediate network or close friends and family. And then there's that gap that we haven't identified yet. So we do, uh, you know, we'll schedule some webinars that are advertised on social media. Hey, if you're interested and the people that are getting it, by the way, are the ones that have already signed up to be notified when we're going to talk about new deals. So it's not to the general public. Um, again, it's keeping within that 506B structure where it's like, hey, guys, you've expressed interest before. We've talked about how we do our, our investments and in our projects. Um, here's a new opportunity. Join us on this webinar that's coming up. And so we'll have a couple of those. From that, we'll get additional soft commitments from people that are interested in investing in that particular deal. Um, and it just kind of works its way you know, through to completion in that, in that manner. Um, so I don't know if that was a great way to answer that question, but uh, at least it was an example from something that we're working on or have been working on recently. Yeah, I mean, what, what I hear in that is combination of existing relationships through track record and building new ones through attention kind of taking people behind the scenes or behind the curtain and kind of magnifying what you're doing with social media. So um, that's, yeah, that, that's what I took from that. So um, Steven, I feel like this, this time really flew, man. Um, really, I, like I said, we, I got to get out to Omaha and hang out with, uh, with you guys and maybe, maybe for um, the world series, college world series, that could be a good excuse to do it. But um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been an awesome show. What is the best way for people to get in touch or follow you on social media? You bet. You know, the, the, probably the best way to reach out would be through uh, either Park Ave Investing, so parkaveinvesting.com um, or cascademultifamily.com is our brokerage. And so contact information on both of those sites for me and for my partners. Um, and yeah, I'd love to stay in touch going forward. Please come out and visit us in Omaha. Uh, if anybody wants to, to inquire about the Omaha market, happy to have conversations, jump on a quick call. Um, so yeah, look forward to staying in touch. Thank you for what you're doing, uh, with, with, uh, your podcast and best of luck to you growing forward in your portfolio development. Absolutely. Steven, thank you so much, man. And, uh, we'll be in touch soon, man. Thank you again. You're welcome, Jonathan. All Appreciate right, your time. Thanks. All right, bye -bye. Bye -bye. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one -on -one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com.